Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare and life sciences. And now, your host, Ed Marks. Ed here. Welcome to Digital Voices. So, Alan, you and I have known each other for a long time, sort of in the virtual world, and then we've had a chance to interact a few times in person. Uh, and it's not surprising because we we have some similarities, some commonalities in our background. Uh, we both have served at the Cleveland Clinic. We overlapped a little bit in Cleveland when I was uh, on the competitor side. And um, but you know we've we've seen each other, and and I've seen you speak before, and it's just the great things that you're doing. So super happy to have you. You know you're with Baycare, the Chief Medical Information Officer, but more than that, you're a dad and you're a husband and you know we're connected on uh various platforms and social media so i get to see your family and such and you're you're just a great person so again thanks for being on our show but before we get going into the serious side what songs are on your playlist everyone wants to know what you listen to (laughs) such a great question you know I, i will tell you that i do a smattering of things that i grew up with and it's really 1970s 1980s music with some 90s uh, you know tossed in uh there, there's um there's everything and anything it, it's sort of whatever i'm in the mood for and want to go jog right. into so and it, it's got to be one of those motivating kind of of playlists something going too slow is just going to slow me down so it's, it's got to be have a, a yeah good you know i i used to make a lot of playlists for running when i first started using apple products and so on you know the on the apple store and stuff and um, so it's kind of fun going back to them, you know, because some of them now are like, um, I don't know if they're 10 years old, but they're at least seven years old. And and so it's kind of funny to listen to the music that I used to listen to back then when I was running and stuff. And so I haven't deleted them because they're kind of fun to go back to every once in a while. But yeah, you'll definitely find some 70s, 80s and, and 90s on there as well. What about life message or mantra? Are there is there a quote or some sort of words that inspire you that you live by? So I, I would tell you that, that I try to take things not too seriously and not too personally. I try to, not that I succeed, but it's it's always a good yeah. Mantra. Those are really good because I'm telling you, if someone, I wish someone would have told me that when I was young. I you know took things way too seriously, way too personally. I think I caused you know uh, premature balding in myself. So, uh, so I wish I wish I would have had that words of advice uh, myself a lot earlier. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Alan, both on the personal and professional side, you know, from you can go back as far as you want and then to present day. We'd love to sort of hear your story. Uh, sure. I'll start off and say that, you know, yeah, you're I mean, having an MBA and MD is probably not all of that rare, but I actually started off as a computer science undergrad. Actually, the my undergraduate degree is a double major in computer science and philosophy, and after undergrad, I got really involved in the pharmaceutical industry, not as a sales rep, but to help do data and analytics associated with clinical trials. So I used to help analyze data for the FDA and for medical journals. And that got me really into data and analytics and, uh, you know, the whole notion of having valid data and collecting it in a way that, that makes sense clinically. I got so involved in clinical trials that I found myself really amazed by the clinical trial researchers that I got involved with. I mean, I 
their stories about patient care were really motivating. And it was as time went on and I worked there, I got more and more interested in medicine. Not that I didn't enjoy the rest of the work that I was doing, but I loved the work involved in the various medical, uh, you know, clinical trials that we were working on. I, I, I just, it was just thoroughly enjoyable to me. And I was trying to think, do I make a switch to medical school? Do I get an MBA? Do I go ahead and get a master's degree in computer science? And I, so I, I, I decided I would really gear more towards the MBA and master's in computer science. And I applied to both programs, decided it'd be in my best interest to get an MBA and started it and had a great time in my MBA program. I loved my MBA program. I, uh, it was more fun than undergrad. I loved the group projects. I loved the learning. But it just wasn't enough for me. And so after a year of MBA, I switched and took a year off, did my pre-meds, ended up going back, finishing my MBA in that, that year between when you apply to medical school and when you start going. So I finished my MBA and went to medical school. And the uh, my MBA is a double major in the management of health information systems and uh, the, or the management of health systems and the management of, of information systems. So it's a double major. Really, so very interesting. I, I ended up going to residency at the Johns Hopkins Bayview Medical Center in Baltimore and returned to Cleveland, where I worked for the Cleveland Clinic for about 10 years in a multitudinal type of roles. I, I was a clinician primarily, and in that, prim in that role, I saw patients mostly in my clinic about 70% of the time, but then also went to the inpatient side and saw patients who were hospitalized worked with residents and medical students, did a lot of teaching, really thoroughly enjoyed all of that. And at the same time, they, all of that was going on. Uh, the Cleveland Clinic was just installing their first electronic health record, EPIC. And that was back in 2001. They'd installed it in, in my area just a few months earlier. The installation went okay, but people weren't adopting as well as possible. With my computer background and the analytics, I quickly identified some things they could do to help improve it. I became a, what would now be known as a super user, a trainer, and all that work caught the attention of the CIO who was there. And uh, he hired me then to start figuring out how you use the EHR to help improve patient care, reduce costs, improve quality, improve operational efficiency. And for about the next almost eight years, I uh, reported directly to him and had a variety of projects that had financial implications, quality implications, and operational uh, implications as well. It, it was it was really a great experience. I found myself, though, I, I was about 80% clinical at the time and 40% everything else. And yeah, that was uh, more than 100%. So I, I had to make a decision on what I wanted to do when I grew up, and I decided I wanted to go into informatics. So I... I I left the Cleveland Clinic and took a position at the Cedar sinai out in Los Angeles and helped them with their implementation of EPIC on the inpatient side. was there for about three years. Afterwards, I, I joined uh, Memorial Hermann in Houston, Texas, which is where my wife is from. was there for five years as their first ambulatory CMIO, helping implement Cerner on, you know, once again, in their, in their ambulatory area and doing a conversion from GE centricity over to Cerner. 
And after that, I, I joined uh, Baycare, which is a, the largest healthcare provider here in the Tampa area. I've been here for about five years. We're a Cerner shop, and I'm the system CMIO in charge of basically all clinical systems, trying to help make sure that they're implemented appropriately, optimized as best as we can, introduce new features, uh, do the bolt-ons and add-ons as we can. I, because of my background, I also get deeply involved in the analytics, particularly when it comes to the things that are passionate in my mind, which is population health, the availability of using data to help improve quality, and then as well to use data to help out with some of the operational efficiencies and, and cost controls that seem to be big themes nowadays in yeah. medicine. You're, you know, obviously as podcast, it's not visual, but for those who know you, you're, you're still a, a young man and you're probably though the most tenured CMIO, you know, to be doing what you were doing in 2001, you know, that's 22, 23 years ago. And, you know, it's sort of like dog years with uh, health IT. And so <laughs> we've been uh, mastering and honing your craft for, for a long time. So thanks for all that you've done to sort of blaze the trail uh, for, for the rest, you know, rest of the community. So that's cool. And I, I love the uh, the arc of your education, too, because a lot of times, right, people will get their MD, then they'll decide they want to work in leadership or management positions, go back and get their MBA. You actually did it in reverse. But let's talk philosophy. Like, uh, so uh, not to put you on the spot, but like, who's your one of your favorite philosophers? Well, uh, Thomas Kuhn is one of my favorite ones. He, he wrote The Structure of Scientific Revolutions which is more of a, almost a sociological book, as much as it is a philosophy book, looking at how scientific change happens. And I, I love that book. It's, it's one of the few books that I've kept over the years since undergrad. It's still on my bookshelf. And I, I, I think it's just a, an incredible, uh, you know, book. That's very cool. I, I, I wish everyone, I wish it was more compulsory to take philosophy, you know, when you're in school, because I think it's very helpful in terms of, how to how to uh, really embrace new ideas, hear different theories, understand different points of view, and it's just deep. And I wish I had I only had time to take you know basically philosophy one hundred and one. But there was part of me I got some more in psych. I majored my undergrad one of my under, my undergrad was in psych, so I got a little bit more philosophy through some of those courses. But uh, I always really enjoyed it. But I've never talked to MD philosophy major, so this is great. I love it. Hey, let's. Let's, uh, we talked a little bit about Baycare already and um, let's talk about your role a bit. You know, you've been there for five years. What would you say are like one or two accomplishments that you're most proud of? Like what you all have done with informatics and, you know, the things that you're. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm very proud of the work we've done to optimize the EHR. And a lot of that work is, it's funny you, you asked that question because I was just talking about it today. We're doing sort of a review of the, what we've done in the past five years, and it's called an EHR annual report. And part of that is what have we done to help out in the past year? Because this is the first annual report, I've taken it back to five years and tried to understand what's out there. That optimization effort has been amazing for us. Five years ago, if I ordered tests, then I, I had to then tell the test where the source was. So if I ordered a urine test, I could order the test, then I had to go into the individual test and put down that it came from urine. If I ordered a blood test, I had to then go into the test and say it's coming from blood. That's not something you normally would have to do. Those things are ordered literally millions of times in our healthcare system 
before we did all that optimization work, it would have to be done manually by providers, which made the EHR seem pretty stupid. Over the course of the past five years, we've taken those kinds of, um, uh, of, of solutions, those kinds of ways of reducing clicks, of improving the physician efficiency. And we've done that across our system. We've done it for lab tests. We've done it for radiology tests. We made the entire process of getting data easier. And so to, when I start to look back, I'm really proud of our optimization work. We have a great team. They're dynamic. They're creative. They don't like, like taking the answer no, of no when it comes to things. They like trying to figure out new solutions. And I think we've amazed ourselves and Cerner with some of the solutions we've come up with. So great work on the optimization side. That one of the optimizations that, that I'm, I'm very proud of is a problem list cleanup effort that we put in place. Problem lists are our list of what issues the patient is being dealt with. Well, let's just say they're diabetic and have high blood pressure and high cholesterol. That list of those three would be their problem list. The issue that comes up or the problem that, that arises is that problem lists tend to get junky over time. People add stuff in that isn't really a problem, and then they, they don't take stuff out. And over time, that, that creates a longer problem list with stuff that doesn't make sense clinically. Well, we created a small utility that helped clean up our problem list. And literally, we, we, we reduced the problem list by 20 to 25% across the board by removing some of that junk. It was met with a, a lot of applause by our users. And, and by doing that, we really helped make our notes shorter. That made them more concise. It made them easier to read. It took less time for the providers to um, enter their notes and create their notes. Uh, all of that is a, a, just a much more satisfying experience for our users. And so I, we made incredible strides throughout the, the course of these past uh, five years. That's amazing. And Alan, you, you've served in many uh, very uh, prestigious organizations. You obviously have some sort of secret sauce on how you collaborate uh, with physicians and, and tech. Maybe it's the philosophy uh, degree. So if you want to drop one word of advice, you know, for our listeners who maybe are working at that intersection of, hey, digital, you know, quote unquote, digital transformation, and then they're working with clinicians, but they're not a clinician, you know, what is maybe one piece of advice that you would give someone to, to help ensure a great collaborative relationship? Well, well, you know, part of the thing from a collaboration point of view is the ability to listen. And it's not just get on a phone call and listen. It's listen and observe. I spend probably two or three days a month out in the field, rounding on hospitals, rounding in clinics. I actually see patients in clinics. And when I go out, I always learn something. And I always hear some kind of complaint or some kind of issue from a provider, a nurse, a medical assistant. In, in my role, what I like to do is to sit back, take it down, think about it for a couple of days, and then bring it forward to our team with, you know, here's the issue that I'm seeing. How do we address it? Is this a larger, more global issue? And every single time I go out and I find something, it leads to drastic improvements with our EHR. And in some cases, those improvements are small tweaks in settings. In some cases, they're larger projects. 
But every single one of them leads to an improvement and that plays really well with our user base. You know, I, I think about the fact that if I'm out there and I, I round with somebody and I get an idea, I attribute that idea to that person, giving them credit for it. I also do the follow-up so that they know that I'm listening to them and we're getting things addressed and solved. So that's, that's, that's one way of creating some really great collaboration. Um, a second way that, that I help do, do that is that we very much monitor when physicians and users call our help desk. And uh, I instituted a program here at Baycare where we get a, a frequent caller list every single month. And the list is broken down by our employed physicians, the non-employed physicians, and the, the other users out there. And what I end up doing is I, I take that list and I personally contact the top people from the physician list. Because I, as a physician, it feels good to reach out. And I reach out just to make sure that whatever their issue is has been addressed. That goes a long way for creating that collaborative kind of, of thought process. And I'm not accusing them of calling too often. My, my email is very simple. It's, I noticed you were calling. Is there something wrong that I can help with? Is there some way that, that I, I can make sure you're satisfied? About 75% of the time, they already are satisfied, their issue is addressed. But that other 25% gives me a chance to intervene in some way and help improve the EHR, help improve you know, the, the way we interact with our, our provider community. And that, that kind of reporting, that kind of interaction just plays dividends uh, in terms of you know the satisfaction that people have about what we do. Yeah, I love that, Alan. The, those are two like super golden nugget bombs that you just dropped uh, for us. So so thank you. I love the latter one in particular, um, just because I never thought of it and never did it, and so that's like brand new for me. That that's really good. That's really powerful. It just made me like just a thirty second story. Where uh, there, when I was a CIO, like a really young CIO in, in Cleveland, and there's this Dr. Ed Michelson, I'll never forget his name, but he was the type to call you up and scream, you know, ah. And, uh, and so I learned my first listen and observe lesson and then followed that like you do it ever since then. So while he was screaming with me on the phone, I ran as fast as I could from my office to the ED, right? He was head of the ED. And I knew he was screaming at me from inside the ED. I got there, he was still on the phone screaming, you know, thinking I was on the other end. Uh, but when he saw me, that was a game changer in the relationship, the respect, the trust. We took action and we observed. And so from that point forward, we are always about, you know, being there in person, listening uh, and, and that eye to eye thing. So really good stuff. Hey, let's switch a little bit now to life. So you're obviously super busy person. You have family, great family, uh, kids. Um, you know, how do you balance your life or stay sort of grounded on both sides and, you know, sort of the integration of that life? Uh, I, I, I could jokingly tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll when I figure it out, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, I, it, it's hard to balance. Um, I've got a daughter who's 11 and a demanding job that often means I have to be there by seven and and I have to work until seven o'clock at night. And, you know, it's it's tough to balance everything. It, it's a continual problem. I, um, my day starts early. I'm usually up by about four o'clock to 4.30 in the morning. It gives me a time to have a little coffee, take the dog for a jog or go to the gym and come home and get ready for a long work day. And uh, 
Uh, that that makes for very long days, and usually by like eight thirty nine o'clock, I'm ready to go to sleep. So my day is is long. Um, the balance is difficult, and I, I struggle in that. I I find myself emailing at uh, way too early hours and way too late hours, and, and I, I definitely need to figure out how I balance it in a better way. Um, which is part of the reason why I think my initial advice is to not take things too seriously, yeah. and you know. And also, you know, it's. Uh, I wish I could say, you know, remember there, there's. You take time to smell the roses, but um, uh, my balance is probably more on the weekends when I have time yeah. to do that. I can't say I, I plant roses here in in Florida, but with a, a nice growing season, we're growing some good vegetables out in the back, and, and it's nice to just go play around in the dirt for a while. Um, well, some good exercise and good times with the family are about how. Yeah, I the, there's nothing like being in the dirt. Uh, by the way, so that that that's good, and yeah, that's awesome. That it is a struggle. I appreciate your your candor. Um, are there any other sort of like these big, hairy, audacious goals you have for yourself or for your family, like as as you go forward? Well, one of the things that my family and I recently did was we went to the Grand Canyon, and this goes back to the notion of of balance. I love going to national parks. I think. It is always an amazing experience. You just get a chance to see, you know, beautiful nature. And uh, I, I think we forget about how beautiful this country yeah. is. Um, so we went to the Grand Canyon and my wife and daughter were astounded by it. And I, I'm glad they had that emotional reaction. I'd been there before. It always creates that emotional and, and incredulous kind of feeling when you, you first come up to that that rim and take a look around well we've decided that uh, at least once or twice a year we're going to go to a to a national park and help in that balance you know i i think we are so surrounded by technology if if uh, people out there are like me you probably spend you know 10 12 hours a day in front of a, a computer we no longer are in front of each other as much as we used to be. I think that the need to be out in nature and to just appreciate breathing without your phone, without you know any kind of technology around, is just needed more so now than, than yeah. ever before. No, that's great. Again, you know, another another lesson learned from you is yeah, make make that sort of goal like okay, once a year we're going to go to a a national park and and I saw your pictures. Uh, you guys had a great time there. Grand Canyon, I was very jealous uh, watching that. Hey, so let's let's switch to leadership here. What was the hardest decision you ever had to make? Mm. From a leadership yeah. point of view? Life, you can go life, where whatever, whatever first comes to your mind. So uh, one of the more difficult leadership decisions I, I had to make was on supportive projects. You know, there's there was um, a time when I was at Memorial Hermann where even though I was the ambulatory CMIO and I really like my my customers were ambulatory focused, there were leadership decisions about priorities where you had to keep the whole organization in focus. So even though I wanted to advocate for my customers but realistically though i had to advocate for the organization which means that the priority for spending money 
really went organizationally and had to shut down some ambulatory projects. I, that, that was a very difficult leader to, leadership decision that yeah. I had. It was the right thing for the organization. I had to think of myself as a steward for the entire group rather than being or having to report to just, you know, my customer base. And that very tough decision on my part uh, in, in that yeah. regard. Certainly, I, I can think of other tough decisions when it comes to trying to decide, you know, uh, how to approach various problems. It, it seems to me that sometimes there is, you know, the, um, the, the quick and dirty kind of approach. And sometimes you got to go through and do a full time analysis kind of yeah. approach. Those are tough decisions and are based on some of the organizational priorities that you yeah. have, timing. Um, and, and some of the underlying issues, those play into some of the work you, you end up so doing. So, Alan, as you were describing that, and I've been there before, you know, the organization versus, you know, the part of the organization priorities. Uh, I had, and I'm going to put you on the spot here. I had this, uh, my philosophy professor came to mind. Um, and I remember learning about a philosopher and whose famous saying was sonum bonum. Um, and it's something to do, do, do you, does that sound familiar? It's like uh, for the best, I forget, it must be Latin for, um, you know, for what's best for all or something to, to that effect. So I'll have to look that one up and I'll put it in the show notes, but uh, it's just reminded, but the professor's name was David Crosby. I just like Crosby, Stills and Nash. And, uh, and anyways, I'll, I'll never forget that. I mean, that's one of the things I learned. I mean, we're going back way, way back in my uh, time slot here. So let's, let's talk about how you stay current and keep an eye on the future. So you have to be current, uh, and you are, but at the same time, you know, involved in day to day and at the same time, you have to kind of know what's going on out there, you know, whether it's AI or, or something new, how do you, how do you balance both? Uh, good question. By the way, I looked up Summum Bonum, and it, it, it the, um, the the exact definition is the highest good, especially as the ultimate goal according to which values and priorities are established in an ethical yeah. system. Does it attribute the philosopher by chance? It uh, does not, but it is a yeah. Latin expression. Um, I, 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 it is actually the Roman philosopher. Oh, okay, yeah. All right. So this is new for Digital Voices. We added a little philosophy lesson uh, for those listening. But I remembered that, you know, and it's really for the, you know, my definition was more uh, colloquial to, you know, my my time at the university as a 17 or 18 year old. But um, but yeah, that that's the overall theme, right? Doing what's best for for the bigger picture. Um, but yes, balance. Yeah. Between knowing stuff today and in the future. You know, there is no lack of need to keep yourself current. And it's something that I, I struggle with. Uh, on the medical side, you know, articles are coming out all the time. It's hard for me to find the time to read them. About a year ago, I actually went ahead and recertified for internal medicine. So that was, you know, that was a, a tough experience. It was one. I, I could say that I enjoyed, because um, yeah, I enjoy studying, and I enjoy learning and keeping my knowledge fresh. So on the internal medicine side, I, I can say I, I, I keep current as best I can. I'd love to be able to do more in, in that regard, but it's, um, 
it's, it's definitely hard to find the time. On the informatics side, I am also constantly reading. Whether it's a journal, going to a WebEx, um, whether it's talking to people in my own area to see if they have any new things that they can share that they've learned about. I love going to conferences. I um, uh, would love to go to hymns this year, just can't make it this year. I learn a ton whenever I go. Those, those things play a major role. And so I, I'm constantly, constantly trying to learn. Um, I, I appreciate the vendors who come in and teach me about things. Um, so I, I'm willing to learn any way that I possibly can. It's, it's always a challenge, though, to, to break it down and, and figure out what's the best yeah, way of doing no, it. No, you're, you're right about that. That's why I asked the question because, you know, I think it's something that we all struggle with, you know, keeping, you know, grounded and what's happening today so you can help customers today, but then you also have to think about your patients and, and customers uh, tomorrow. So, uh, of course, I know you wanted to mention it, but you didn't. Uh, but Digital Voice is a great place to to listen to. Uh, uh, on the- I left that out. I wanted to make give, give you a chance yeah, to play it. On your 4.30 a.m. Uh, dog runs. So, uh, no, this has been awesome. Alan, you're just a great person and uh, friend, and I'm very thankful for you and that you're in my life. Uh, we talked a lot of things, you know, all about your education. So, so interesting, of course, the music. Um, and then we talked about your Bay care and your role and the, some of the great things that you're all doing down there. And we talked a lot about life, a lot of good life lessons, and then, uh, just sort of ended here with, uh, leadership. Uh, what did we miss or anything, uh, that you want to double down on? I just kind of end with, uh, giving you the last word. Now, I'm going to end as I started. I mean, I, I uh, have certainly been guilty of taking things too personally and too seriously in life. Definitely that need for a balance is something that I'm hopeful that I, I can achieve any better way over the, the next year or so. And uh, I, I want to encourage everybody to do yeah, the same. You're, you're awesome. Uh, Alan, thanks again for being on Digital Voices. And we'll definitely connect at some point, maybe next time I'm down in uh, Tampa. Love that area or, you know, some conference somewhere. So take care and uh, thank you all for listening to Digital Voices. Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most importantly, thanks again for listening. 